anybody. It's not, it's not the Pope or Muhammad or somebody like that. It, 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 is, it is Christ Himself. Because Christ Himself has righteousness. He is the only one who has righteousness. And He is the only one who has given us righteousness. And so the first one is realizing that you are poor in spirit. There's not a thing good in you that can make you go to heaven or, or be blessed in that way. And to recognize that and to hold your hand out to God, understanding that He has righteousness and that He can give you that, is being poor in spirit. The next one is, once you realize you're poor in spirit, you start to mourn. What are you mourning over? You're mourning over sin in general. But, but for, for our case, we're going to focus on right your personal sin. The sin against that righteous God. And you see it and you mourn and, and, and kind of a silly but, but I think graphic and, and, and an illustration that will stick with you is you're not weeping. It's that snot running from your nose <laughs> type of crying, right? We've all done that. Somebody has died. Some, something has occurred. We see it happen to our kids when you tell them they can't have ice cream. The genuine crying and mourning over the sin in your life. Now, we also see sin in our neighbor's lives and in society as a whole, but for this, we're, we're talking about your sin, my sin as well, if I am someone who is poor in spirit and someone who is mourning. It says that blessed are those who mourn. The next is blessed are those who are meek. And meekness is this thing where we look at as weakness. And so we we've kind of interpreted this to be blessed are those who are weak. As in those who cannot help themselves. As in those who cannot... Uh, 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 you know, they're, they're, the, they're the, the lowest dregs of society type of helplessness. That's not what it's talking about either. We already realize that we are spiritually impoverished. And we see our sin then we realize that God gives you strength. Right? We believe that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. That we, become, we gain the strength of God. We gain the courage of God. We, we gain the, the uh, 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 righteousness of God. We gain all... He, he gives it to us and He gives it to us in abundance. He gives us these things. But what else does He do? Much like a draft horse or a mule or an ox... What does God do? He puts a harness on us and He controls us. So we don't just do what we want to do with that strength. What will we do with it? Something bad. He is in control of that mighty strength. Another illustration of that is a soldier who is uh, uh, calming a crowd down without ever pulling his sword. Right? It's strength under control. The strength comes from Christ and so does the control. The next one is hunger and thirst for righteousness. How many of us genuinely hunger and thirst for righteousness? How many of us are wanting more of Jesus? This song that we sang that says, if I have Jesus, how could I want more? Most of us want more anyway. And if you say, I don't, I'm going to call you a liar. We want more. You know how I know we want more? Let something bad happen. You're wondering why did it happen to you? When in reality, we should be saying, why wouldn't it happen to me? Bad things happen all the time. Why am I exempt of this? But what do we think? We think, why me? 
Are we hungering and thirsting for Christ, finding satisfaction in what He gives to us as those who belong to Him? The next one is merciful. Are you a merciful person? Do you just let somebody slight you by accident or on purpose? Do you let it just weld up inside? Do you lash out at them? Do you want to hit them? Or do you, do you hold on to it so that you can just release it one day at them? Or I'll get them one day. You just wait. I'm saving this. Or if, there again, if you're more like me, my personality is to kind of be to my... I'm going to jack their jaw, son. They don't know. But what happens? God says, no, David. Don't do that. You're being what? Foolish. And not wise. And so you show them mercy. We'll, we'll, when we go through being peacemaker, we'll see a lot more of this mercy as well. Pure in heart. Are you pure, pure in heart? The answer is no. The answer is no. And God is purifying our hearts. He's working within us. taking care of our hearts. He's, he's taking out the impurities, putting in the righteousness. And what else has He done? What else has He done? He's giving us a single-minded hunger and thirst. See how they kind of stack on each other? A single-minded hunger and thirst for what? Christ Himself. We should be able to say what that song said. That if I have Christ... How should I? Why would I want more? I'm messing up the lyrics, but you understand what I'm saying. Then, peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. And as we dive into this, blessed are the peacemakers, I want to do a couple of things. Because like, like most of these, there's confusion. Most of these, the world's probably taught us more about what these things mean than, than actual the Bible and, and Christ. And so, most of us tend to think that peace means what? No bickering, no fighting, no, no conflict, no war. No, and it's just as simple, no, no conflict. And, and we say... Um, you know, my, my older two are sitting here and they get into it. And what, what, is, what do we and their mama say? We say, would you please give us some peace? Quit this fighting and bickering for a minute. But what am I really asking for? And what do most of us really are, are, are striving for more than peace? We're actually striving for a truce. And what is a truce? A truce is we'll quit fighting and... And this will be this glorious moment where we can reload. It'll be this moment where we get to reload and then when we go back to fighting, I'm going to let you have it. When you say, please quit fighting, do you really think they're going to quit fighting for now to the end of time? Mm -mm. Why? Because in their little hearts, and their little hearts is sin. And where there's sin... There's chaos. Where there is sin, there's turmoil. Where there is sin, there is problems. And so why do we have... Let's, let's start here. Why do we have chaos and conflict within the actual body of Christ? Because we all have sin. 
you say, my David, you sure do look sloppy today. And I'm not sitting there going, why, thank you, am I? No, I'm sitting there, who do they think they are? Saying I'm sloppy. What is wrong with these people? Why? Because I have pride. When somebody, how many times have you seen somebody get mad at somebody else because they didn't, during a crowded, busy, chaotic area, you know, and, and they didn't, somebody didn't speak to them? Can you believe he didn't speak to me? Can you believe she didn't speak to me? Can you believe that? Why? Because you think you're more important than what you are. So do I. We all, in a moment, whenever, and you, none of us would say it, right? None of us would say that person owes to anything to talk to me. Nobody would say anything to that nature. But then whenever they don't, especially if you think you made eye contact with them, right? You're over there going, he looked right over there at me. He didn't even say, hey, he didn't even throw his hand up. I swear, some people ain't got no coof. Why? Because we're we're sinful. And, and we have that. And, and we have chaos and we have turmoil and we have issues and we have these things because we are. Another thing. This is important to remember. And this is we're, we're going to hold these two things together, right? But, but I want you to understand this first. Luke 12, 51 through 53. Do not suppose, this is Christ speaking, do not suppose that I came to grant peace on I tell you, no, but rather division. For from now... Yeah, for from now on... Five members in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. Now some of y'all are like, you know, when it was the father and son, daughter, but then whenever you got to the mother-in-law, father-in-law thing, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. What is it saying? What is God saying? The gospel is this truth that not everybody wants to hear or know. The gospel of Jesus Christ is something that some of us, we hear it and our hearts hunger for it. Others, we hear it and we want to shove it away. I say, I say people are, are a lot like bugs. Right? You got bugs that when the lights are on, they, they, they want to be around the light. You got something like a moth. And they'll fly around the lights and worry you to death because you keep seeing their shadow on the walls and everything. But a moth will come to the light. A roach, on the other hand, when you turn the light off, does what? Scatters. Some of us are like roaches. And when we hear the gospel, we say, I don't want to hear none of that. Some of us are like moths. We see the light, we want to hover around it. We want to hear more. Why? Because it's truth. And in a day and age to what we live now, to where we say, I, I am the ultimate authority to truth. My personal experience 
is truth. I determine what is truth because of what I see and hear. When somebody says, no, no, you're not truth, Christ is truth, they tend to go, hold up. That in places I like, but I'm not going to want to believe that in places I don't like. Having a conversation with a friend of mine not too long ago, and part of my evangelism strategy was to adopt this. And I said, I said, how do you know this tailgate will hold me and you up? We're sitting on tailgate. He says, life experience. I said, so you say that you know things because of what you experience? He said, yes. I said, the Bible tells me that Jesus is the truth. That Christ is truth. And I have never experienced anything to contradict the difference. Who's right? Me or you? Because he didn't agree with that. We can't both be right, can we? That's why we go to the Word of God. Because my experiences can lead me away from God. There is an enemy. You do have flesh that tries to draw you away from God. And God says that He's going to come in and He's going to divide those who will know Him and those who won't. The weeds from the tares. And so, God comes to divide. And, and you say, well, how is that peacemaking? How does that make peace? How, how does this, you say on one hand, blessed are the peacemakers. And then on the other hand, you say that Jesus came to divide. Because Jesus has a peace that goes beyond the simple, we're not going to bicker anymore. What did we talk about Sunday? It was uh, Resurrection Sunday. And we talked about how Christ died and resurrected for what? To reconcile men to the Father. There is a peace that comes from the reconciliation from you, a sinful man, to God, the wonderful Father. God, a pure heart, it says that you shall see God. And, and I told you that in the Old Testament, if you were to see, that's a terrifying concept. To an Old Testament person, that is a terrifying concept because they are sinful and they knew that they were sinful and they knew that He was a holy, wonderful God. And if you see God, you would die. So how do you get the opportunity to see God by taking a righteousness that you did not earn, that was given to you freely from a Savior who paid for sins that He did not commit? And so through that righteousness, we have purity of heart through the righteousness of Christ. And also we see the reconciliation that God brings between man and the Father is the most peace that anybody has ever done on the face of the earth. Period. Some of us, there again, believe that peacemaking comes from the idea that our job is to make sure nobody bickers. The Scripture tells us that being a peacemaker means confronting people in their sin. That's not very peaceful according to our definition, is it? That's not very peaceful. Most people think that the idea of peace should come like this. Let sleeping dogs lie. And Jesus says, we don't want fleas. 
You allow for the sleeping dog to lie. You're in the room with him. He's going to give you the fleas. These things, it's a rot. Sin is a rot. Sin is a, a virus. Sin is whatever kind of spreadable, nasty thoughts you want to put in your head there, right? It does that. It spreads. And if you allow it to sit there, it does not just stay in the area. It spreads like cancer. Why? Because we enjoy it. We enjoy our sin, do we not? But then the Holy Spirit says, no. No. People don't go out and get drunk on Friday nights because it's not enjoyable. People don't have premarital relations because it's not enjoyable. Rebelling against God is enjoyable to a certain extent. The long-term reactions to these things are horrible and tragic to people. The long-term is a misery. My most fun-having friends are the most miserable people when you sit them down one-on-one -on -one and just talk to them. The people who look like they're having a ball are the most miserable people when you sit down with them one-on-one -on -one and, you're, and you're just asking about their life. They got three mo baby mamas. They miss their babies. They don't get to see them. Why? Because they're too busy living a life rebelling against God. That's just one example. We can go on and on, but I'd be timely to a certain extent. So... What is a peacemaker? James 3.17 says that a peacemaker is righteous. But the wisdom from above is first poured, then peace, peaceable, gentle, responsible, full of mercy and good fruit, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seeds... Oh, excuse me. And the seed, those fruits... Uh, is th I'm, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble. And the seed of those fruits is righteousness, is shown in peace by those who make peace. Righteousness and peace grows. So how do we plant righteousness? Well, we live lives. We live lives that are honorable to God. We live lives that, that, don't, that don't spit in the face of God. We live lives that, that, that we can only live through God. Let me ask you a question. You cannot, maybe this is more of a statement now that I'm saying it, but you cannot quit sinning without God. Right? I drink too much, I'm an alcoholic, I go to AA, and, and you do this stuff. And what do you do? You replace that idol for a different idol. You replace that idol for a different idol. You say, I'm tired of this lifestyle, I want to live a different lifestyle, and, and you see men who, who, who maybe quit the partying are now the biggest sports fans. 
they love, they fall in love with a hobby and it's the most important thing in their life. They put away one idol for a more acceptable idol. It's not that they've quit sinning. They, they, they went from this idol that was more unacceptable in society's eyes and they go through this transformation and they come out worshiping a separate idol that is acceptable in this society's eyes. God says, I will take away your sin. I will take away your sin, allowing you to live. I'm going to give you my allowing you, and that's, um, uh, that's the righteousness that you have now. Positionally, you are righteous. But through that positional righteousness, God works through you a practical righteousness which works to make you more like Him. And through that, you become peacemakers. You sow the fruit of peacemaking. What are the fruits of peacemaking? The gospel of Jesus Christ. You preach the gospel. You want to know the biggest difference between Europe and Africa? And I'll go ahead and promise you this. It isn't climate or color. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ flourished in one area and didn't in another. It has nothing to do with the people or the climate. It has to do with the gospel flourishing in one area and not in the other. That's the difference. We don't... It's not because this people is great and those people are not. It's not because these people are smart and these people are not. It's nothing to that nature. It's not because, you know, Christianity flourishes in really cold environments and, and, and not in warm environments. It started in Jerusalem, right? The difference, the technological difference, the, 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 the worldview in which one holds and not the other simply came, and, I'm, and, and, and Europe is losing that. Europe is losing the worldview. Europe is losing Christ. And as they lose the worldview and they lose Christ, what is happening to Europe? It's falling apart. It's falling apart. It doesn't happen like that. It happens. Just like Europe didn't get, you know, to be what they are like that. It happened over time. And Africa, and, and, and China and, and uh, South America right now, if you were to look 200 years into the future and they're the major world powers and, and Europe and America are, you know, third countries, it'll be because they have gone through their revival and they have grown in Christ and developed and, and followed the worldview that becomes with Christ. Which brings peace. It brings peace. There again, ultimately what kind of peace does it bring? It brings peace from sinful man to a righteous God. But you will also see that as people are following a righteous God and they have been reconciled with a righteous God, they are less likely to fight and kill. Just like when I became saved, I became less likely to fight and argue. Now some of y'all say, you still like to argue. Well, he's still working. He's still working, right? 
God brings peace through righteousness. Second, uh, excuse me, um, Genesis 13, 8 and 9. So Abraham said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please spread, uh, uh, separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right, and if to the right, I will go to the left. There's a couple things here, but I want to point this out first of all and foremost about this part. Abraham said to Lot, you are the one who gets to choose. Now who is Abraham? Abraham's the man chosen by God to, to, to sow Israel. He, he's the father of Israel. He's the one that has a promise and a blessing upon him and he doesn't say, now look, since God chose me for this ma uh, uh, massive task, let me pick the land and then you'll get the leftovers. No, he does the opposite. He says, if you pick over there, I'll go over there. And if you pick over there, I'll go over there. Because he put himself, and this is the important part, he put himself aside for other people. He could have said, but I'm the one chosen by God. But he doesn't. He says, you pick and I'll go in the other direction. You pick and I'll go in the other direction. He put himself aside for others. Most of us won't give up the last little bit of ice cream in the freezer for your own spouse, much less thousands of acres of whatever piece of land so that you could have the remaining. Also, we see... He talks about separating. There's a place in here. If for peace, we separate. For peace, we separate. There again, they, they didn't need to have one massive group because what was happening? People were starting to fight and bicker. And they said, okay, we can, we can solve this. And it took them separating. Sometimes that needs to happen. I always think of Paul and Barnabas. They had, a, they had an issue with John Mark, and they were like, let's separate. Let's separate. Putting others before ourselves. Also, people who put others themselves put, not all the time, version of this. But typically what you see is the church putting themselves for the world. Why do you think so many hospitals are named Saint so-and-so? Baptist Hospital, Presbyterian Hospital, especially if you go to Charlotte, right? All those, they're named after churches. They're named after churches. Orphanages. I didn't make the announcement I should have, but the Baptists have the Baptist children's home in which we should be giving food for and, and, and gift cards. 
this month. That's my little announcement on that. But the Baptists do that. The Presbyterians have their thing. I'm sure, you know, the Catholics do a lot. You've got, you've got the uh, Pentecostals. You know, they're, they're giving. Why? Why? Because they read in Scripture. What do they see in Scripture? They see that those who know Christ serve others and serve the weakest and mildest of us. So why? Why do we do this? You can do it for fame. How many people do it for tax breaks, right? They do it for tax breaks. Or they do it for... They do it so that they can get some kind of recognition. Or they do it because they think they can earn their way into heaven. They think if I do this, this will make God happy with me. A genuine Christian does it not because they think that it will earn their way into heaven, but because they love God, and because they love God, that gives them the ability to love their neighbor. And if you truly love your neighbor, you'll stand outside of an abortion mill. You'll, you'll want to give people children who don't have much, orphans. you want to give them cribs. You will give them cribs, diapers, clothing. It means that if someone is starving around you, what do you do? You feed them. If somebody is freezing, what do you do? You bring them warmth. As a Christian, this is not this is not optional. And this is peacemaking. This is peacemaking. Going and serving your brother not because you feel like those other examples that I gave, uh, working your way to heaven or, or getting recognition or tax breaks or whatever it may be, you do it because you genuinely love your brother. Christ says that if a man is freezing and, and you just simply say, uh, uh, well, God bless and walk away, you haven't done anything. If you have two coats, give him one. If you have two coats, give him one. You'll say, well, then I won't have my other coat. No, you won't, but you love your brother. And it's worth giving away that second coat. It doesn't say if you have 12 coats, give him one. That's us today, right? That's us today. I don't know. Those are my good shoes. <laughs> well, what, what ain't your good shoes? Those with the soles falling off. They can have those, can't they? You give of yourself sacrificially. And we say, okay, well, that sounds nice. What do you mean it sounds nice? We are shown a picture, of, uh, and it's not just a story. It happened. It's reality. It's the most well-documented ancient history that has ever happened that a man went to the cross for our sins. Why? Because he loved us. He loved us. And He was God. You know how I know He was God? Because He resurrected three days later telling us that His death on the cross was sufficient to cover the sins of the world. And you look at that and you still think, 
but I, but I, but me, but me. Christianity is more than just being a good person. So that's a peacemaker. How do we become peacemakers? If you'll turn to Romans 14, 18, and 19, it says this. For he who is in this way serves Christ is a is um, accountable to God and approved by man. So when he, we uh, pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. What does it say? It says that we who serve Christ you want to be a peacemaker? What do you do? You serve Christ. You say, how do I become a peacemaker? Serve Christ. You say, that sounds both easy and generic at the same time. Well, we've covered some of this already, so we're not going to try to dredge everything back up. But you serve Christ by loving God and loving your neighbor. And we can break that down into Ten Commandments, right? Then we can break it down into the, to, to other commandments within the Scripture. But ultimately, that breaks down or that, that sums it up as loving God with everything and loving your neighbor as yourself. To serve Jesus is a calling that has been placed on everybody who says that Jesus Christ is mine. He loves me. He dwells within me. He, you know, I, I, he's a part of who I am. And I, He is my Lord. He is my Savior. If you're not serving Christ, then you genuinely can't say that He is your Lord and Savior. So you serve Christ. Also in Romans chapter 12, verse 17 to 21. And this is what we had talked about earlier, or what I read earlier. Never pay back evil with evil to anyone. Alright? This is pretty simple. If I step down there and slap Brad Shaw, that's evil, right? If he slaps me back, what is that? Repaying evil for evil. Who, who's, who's genuinely... He's, he's getting mad thinking about it. He's over there bouncing his leg. The hurt one too now. People are going to do you wrong. That's a fact of life. If you have not learned that yet, then you're my kid's age, I guess. People are going to do you wrong. People are going... Christians are going to do you wrong. I may do you wrong. I hope I don't. I'll never make that a goal of mine. But I'll be honest with you, I can be absent-minded. I don't want to do you wrong. But you may be done wrong by people who you love. That's where it hurts the most, isn't it? 
and they do you wrong. And if they do evil by you, we're not to just take revenge on our own. We're not to just dive in head first into the mud of sin. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Now you have to be careful with this verse because some people take that to be alright, so if the world says abortion is fine, we're, we're you know, that's right in the sight of all men. No, that's not what it's saying because what's right in the sight of all men does not contradict the word of God. It, it, it does not over rank what God says. People say that it's okay for a little boy to think he's a little girl. No. We can go on and on. What it means is that nobody should be able to say that you are just a, a mean, grumpy, ornery, uh, backstabbing, lying, thieving, you're not to be known for that. You're not to be known to, for, for, for acting basically the way of the world. Even the world understands there's value in men who don't steal. I don't know if any of y'all have ever been done much in business, but if you ever hired people, you typically try to hire people who aren't going to steal from you, right? If you know Jesus or not, you don't want to hire a bunch of thieves. I reckon unless you're uh, a part of Ocean's Eleven or something like that, you know, all right, then you want thieves. But in t general terms, you don't want to hire a bunch of thieves. You don't want to hire a bunch of people who are going to lie to you. You know what? This is probably more true back in the day than it is now, but your reputation as a Christian should be such that if you walked into an office and you made the claim that you were a Christian, if you walked into an office in an interview and said, hey, if there's any way possible, I'm not working Sundays because I need to be at church, right? You walk into the office, that's what you say, and they say, oh, he's a Christian, which means I'm not going to have him on Sundays, but the rest of the week he's going to be my best worker. That's the kind of reputation we ought to have as Christians. I know he's not going to lie to me. He's going to be on time. He's not going to uh, uh, steal from me. He, he's going to do what he says he can do. That should be the reputation of Christians. So that they may think, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to be annoying. They're going to, they're going to try to save everybody in the workplace, but they just work so daggone good. That should be our reputation. You should be the person in your job. You say, but I hate my job. Well, that's the great thing about living in America. Go find someone. Find you somewhere where you can be a Christian, right? Be the hardest working person you know. Not because you're trying to earn the, you have a fear of man and want to be solely respected by man, but because the Word of God says what? That we are uh, respect what is right in the sight of all men. 
if possible. So far, it depends on you. Be at peace with all men. What is this? Right off the bat, we see that it's telling us to be at peace with all men. It also says as far as your part's concerned. What does that mean? That there are people out there you can't have peace with. There are people out there, no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you work, no matter how much you do, no matter what, what, you will not be able to make peace with them. You won't. But that doesn't mean you quit because you're not doing it for, so that they will think highly of you. You're doing it, why? Because you're living a life of service to Christ and obedience. And you work in that way. And you strive to do what is peaceable. Never take your own revenge. Never take your own revenge. Otherwise, this is all going on. You're working your hardest. You're the best worker in your place. All this, it's going great. And then one day they hire a person and that person will not do their job. And that person winds up putting a lot of their job on you. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I've worked with people like that. It's not uncommon that you have some, some jerk, right? Some jerk who does not want to do what is right. Who wants, they work harder, they work harder at avoiding work than they do working. In other words, you could, if you would put in the effort to do your job rather than not working, your life would be easier. And you'd get a lot more done. But you'd rather put that work, that effort in. I mean, I knew you guys had a whole system looking for the manager. So they'd be just la, 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 talk, 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 talk. And then there'd be a guy, that, you know, and he would, hey! And then the boys would get right to work. Now, obviously, the manager saw that there weren't no change from this time to that time when there should have been change. But, I mean, people work hard to avoid work. Why? Because they're sinful. Because they're sinful. Now, does that mean that you march down there and you say, look, if you don't get your job done, I'm... You feel like it. Trust me. <laughs> you feel like it. You want, to, you want to address this in a way that will make you feel better. Now one thing we know about sin, the lie is that once you hit that person, you'll feel better. The truth is, once you're having to fill out that paperwork to lose your job because you've done hit somebody, you don't feel any better because this jerk still has his job and you've lost yours. Why? Because you've handled it in a sinful manner. But if you handle it in a godly manner, you pick up the slack. If you can, you pick up the slack. You bear down because you're not doing it. You're not even doing it for the company that you work for. We do all things for the glory of God. It's not the company that I work for. 